Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Sarah Gump from the podcast team. Did you know that one of Cedarville's faculty members was two points away from making the U.S. Olympic rifle team? Learn more about this story on the Cedarville Stories podcast with your host, Mark Weinstein. Joining me on the podcast is Dr. Dee Morris, retired Cedarville women's tennis coach and current physician assistant in Springfield, Ohio. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Morris. Thank you. You were a longtime tennis coach here at Cedarville. You just retired uh, a year or so ago. Your team's won 432 matches and 11 conference championships during your coaching career. With all that success, why did you believe it was time for you to step down in 2018? I just believed that the, the girls needed someone who was younger. Um, initially, I could play with them. But as time went on, you know, I was at the point where, yes, I could hit balls to them for drills, but the kids are too fast. You know, at 82, uh, 81 last year, uh, you know, you do lose a step or so. You were competing in college athletics at a time when it wasn't common for women. How has all that changed? Oh, it's changed so much. The girls today don't realize (laughs) the blessings they have. Um, The only reason that we got to play was that in that area, the Western Pennsylvania area, and the colleges surrounding mine, uh, there were a group of ladies who had all been classmates at Slippery Rock, and uh, they had decided that, you know, they had played field hockey for the most part and everything that they could at Slippery Rock. And, of course, they were quite athletic ladies, and they had determined that if their girls, their colleges wanted to play, they would make a way for them to do it. Geneva belonged to the NAIA at that time, uh, and CCAA hadn't yet been born. And, uh, of course, NCAA was, they weren't going to, the divisions hadn't come about and such. And so uh, nothing was organized in terms of conferences and, and such, but we would, we had a volleyball season, we had a basketball season, and it was because of matches arranged among these folk who had all been classmates. And uh, we didn't have, there wasn't a budget. We had, uh, you bought your basketball shoes and then you used them for everything. The, the, the differences in college athletics today, as you outlined, is, is drastically different. Drastically different. B- both for the men as well, mm-hmm. and, but definitely for the women. I mean, you, you were limited in your, your opportunities, as you outlined and, and said, and when you think about your coaching career here at Cedarville, um, what brings you the greatest satisfaction? Just a relationship that, um, that I had with the kids, with the girls. You know, they knew that I cared for them very much, and um, and, the, and they returned it. It was just a, we had a good relationship. So when you think back to your college days of playing, you were, mm-hmm. you excelled in rifle, you excelled in basketball and tennis. What was your greatest accomplishment? Well, I remember one time I did score 22 points in a game and being short, I was the, I, I learned to shoot set shots. You're talking about basketball? Basketball now. now. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I did win the national women's championship when I was in college. And that's in what? Rifle. Rifle. Okay. And, but that was something that just always had had come easily sure. to me. Yeah. I know you played basketball and tennis, but I think if I was to guess, 
rifle was your sport. I know you competed on the, the USA's Pan Am Games, and you just missed the 1968 Olympic team, rifle team, by two points. Relive that experience. Was it disappointing that you didn't make the team? How did you handle um, missing the team by two points? I was glad I came that close. Okay. Um, the tryouts, trials were down at um, Fort Sam Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. And actually the small bore rifle, which is what I was involved with, uh, was out at a place called Bullis Air Force Base shooting range. That's where the small bore range was. And you shot at a target uh, 50 meters away. And of course this was outdoors. But at 50 meters, the, the bullseye, that is the, the center, the 10, is a little bit smaller than the end of my little finger, wow. which isn't very big. So it's a combination when you're outdoors, you have to you know, control, you know, it's eye-hand coordination, trigger pull, um, evenness, and, and paying attention to the wind flags because mm -hmm. at several points between the line where you are and down at the, where the targets are, there are several flags. Well, Bullis was an interesting place in that uh, sometimes some of the flags are going this way and sometimes they're going uh -oh. that way. And you have to figure out, because you're shooting a, a 22 caliber bullet okay. and that's very small and it is affected by wind currents. So you had to adjust things a little bit and hope that you adjusted the right way. But uh, it was a two-day competition. The first day, I was ahead. And the second day, the wind blew a little bit more, and I ended up just a little, little bit short. But as a result of that, a year or so later, um, I went to a competition. This is when I was um, teaching at the University of Iowa, and this several years later went to a competition up in Wisconsin and the Air Force Marksmanship Unit was there. And uh, I beat them all. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a result, I had the opportunity, was given an invitation a week or so later to, um, you know, inviting me to join the Air Force, uh, come in as an officer and uh, be part of the Air Force marksmanship team well, and that's a competitive team and all the services have them they just travel the world and compete in shooting matches you're a member of three athletic halls of fame uh, geneva cedarville and the nccaa what did it mean to you to be a part of the inaugural hall of fame class at your alma mater just a it was a tremendous honor that they finally decided to have a Hall of Fame, you know, for a school that old, not to have one. And, and I, I had, um, I knew Kim Gall when she was the athletic, right. athletic director. And one of the things that I'd, I had the opportunity years ago to be part of their board of trustees, I said, you know, you really ought to think about that because from a development standpoint, advancement standpoint, if you build those warm feelings toward your alma mater, and that's one of the ways to do it, you're apt to, to fare better in terms of sure. contributions, making people feel, yeah, I should really support the school. 
And uh, and that's not the only reason you do it. But anyway, I had sort of encouraged them, but I thought they had forgotten all about it, but then they decided to do it. And it was just um, a great uh, honor to be one of the, well, among the first group. Right. And uh, I enjoyed that day tremendously. To be inducted into the Geneva College Athletic Hall of Fame, knowing some of the inaugural inductees like Larry Bruno, who coached Joe Namath in high school, Cal Hubbard, the only person to be inducted into the Pro Football and Baseball Halls of Fame, and Chick Odata is very impressive, and it speaks to the excellence that you brought athletically to Geneva College. With that being said, as I think about your career and the impact that you've had on players and students, what does it mean for you to know you're having a lasting spiritual impact in the lives of your students? Well, one's always conscious of that, but, you know, you never, you never know what, you know what you say as an individual, but sometimes you don't always know what they hear mm-hmm. and or what they remember. And, you know, I just, like everyone does, I think, just try to, do the best you can and do it in a God-honoring way and, and uh, pray for the best. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's a responsibility, certainly, and I know one of my greatest joys in academia at, for the last several years since we've had our allied health program is to, to have such a great um, percentage of our allied health graduates go on to professional schools and be accepted mm. at schools of PA studies or physical therapy or occupational therapy or chiropractic. And, and they just, and we have some people who've gone to medical school that our program isn't necessarily designed that way. It's, there's a pre-med program as well, but, and we're not it. But, um, you know, we, we've had grads do that, had one this year who was in med school. Mm-hmm. But we've got them in PA school. And sure. I guess that's the thing that um, that I find extremely rewarding is that our kids are well prepared, and that's because of our science department, sure. because of my colleagues in the department. Yeah. It's a you know it's a team. Everybody does their little bit, but that's that's neat. Well, where you just went with that with that response is where I really want to go for the rest of the program, mm-hmm. and that's talking about um, how long have you been a physician assistant. This is my 40th year in practice. I always wanted to be in medicine, but there wasn't really any way to get there. I was a kid that didn't have any money and found scholarships and assistantships and so forth to, and, and it was a God thing, you know, God opened doors and I had sense enough to go through them. And I graduated from college in 59. Well, that was a time when not very many women went to med school and you had to have a lot of money. There weren't grants and such as there are now. So I just went through doors that God opened and got the education that, that I did and tried to make the most of it. Do you get the same satisfaction today practicing as a PA as you did when you first started? Oh, yes. Yeah. And probably more. Um, Monday and Wednesday afternoon are my days in the, in the office in Springfield. And so yesterday I was seeing patients and I, uh, at that particular time, I had a student following me around 
And I, I told her, I said, you know, this we're specialty practice, so it's not like family practice. You're not going to see the variety. Um, but she enjoyed it, I think. And but for me, it's um, genuine fun, <laughs> satisfying. It's it's I enjoy it very very much. And you have no plans to retire from PA work. No, unless I can't do it sure. competently. If I start forgetting things, such I, I hope I have sense enough to stop. Right. But, you know, most people at your age are, are retired. They're on a beach. They're enjoying the mountains or just friends or whatever. So what really still motivates you to keep moving forward with, you know, teaching here at Cedarville, um, practicing as a PA? I'm in a situation in life where um, I have to work. And I want to work. I always have. I would, to be retired would drive me crazy. I have to, I'm one of those people, and maybe it's path, pathologic, I don't know. <laughs> um, I have to have somewhere to go, something to do, and a reason to do it. Sure. I mean, that's just, that's what I have to have. And uh, I cannot just uh, retire. Well, that's, that's a, a great outlook to have because that keeps you mentally sharp mm. and active um, and being productive. And knowing that, that, you're, that you have a, a niche in, in the lives of lots and lots of people that I only know as patients. Sure. And, you know, that they can, they can always request to see, they can ask to see the doc or they can ask to see me, or, you know, we just, they're, they're in a room, they need to be seen, so we go do it. But it's at a point where some people would prefer to see a PA because we spend a little bit more time with them. And over time, you develop relationships with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think because I am older, we don't see kids in our practice. And I think that a lot of times gray hair and some wrinkles <laughs> for some reason, people think you might know something. Sure. <laughs> so. I, I would think maybe it's a calming effect for, for patients mm, to come yeah. see you. I, maybe. I think so. I, I know there are some people that ask to see me, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I appreciate that. What our listeners may not know is that a decade or two ago, you went to the Cedarville administration with the idea of starting a physician assistant program. They listened to you, but at the time, it wasn't the right time to start the program. But now in 2019, Cedarville is pursuing the idea of starting a physician assistant program. So what were your thoughts when you learned that your vision for starting the PA program at Cedarville may come to reality? <laughs> Honestly, about time. It's about time. <laughs> but but uh, just glad because... The university is in a uniquely good spot to do this. We're financially sound. We've got a wonderful science department. Right. We've got a school of pharmacy. We've got <clears throat> all the the other things. You know, I and I do sort of plan ahead. Um, in addition to, I suggested the PA program to Dr. Wood. Okay. A long time ago. Yeah. And. Yeah, you know, we probably weren't at the point where we could do that yet. And then I talked with Janice Suplee about it many, many times. And, and then this past year, 
by this time knowing that it was coming, um, I began a as an elective for allied health students, anybody else that wanted to take it, a, a course called Basic Clinical Skills. And so I did that, designing it, because I know that in PA programs, that's one of the initial classes that students have to take. And so I wanted to have at least one thing that had been done before and, uh, so, and got some of the equipment that's going to be needed. There's a lot more to come. I've had several email conversations with um, Jason Graham. He's the gentleman who's coming to be the program director. He um, was a student of mine years ago in a class called Introduction to the Health Professions, and that's, he was an athletic training major. He learned about the PA program and what PAs did at that time. And then, you know, I don't know what course his life took, um, you know, all the twists and turns that it had. But eventually, he went to PA school and became a PA himself and obviously enjoyed it. And then uh, immediately prior to accepting this position, he's been the director, one of the directors of admission at, I believe, the Eastern Virginia School of Medicine's PA program. Mm -hmm. You know, but it was something that he learned about initially here. As we begin to wrap up today's podcast, um, I have a couple questions. Um, one, what is your favorite memory or most memorable moment from your time at Cedarville? Well, there are many. I think the honor of being part of their Athletic Hall of Fame was one. Because you're not and, a Cedarville grad. No. So that has to be a special honor. Mm -hmm. It is. And then last year at homecoming, I will never forget that. It kind of surprised me a bit. What happened? They kind of gave me a very wonderful and memorable outdoor retirement party. <laughs> they had uh, put together a book and, uh, from, and gotten notes and such from players from way back and coming forward and some of, some of the later players. And they had pictures. And, and this was a something that um, I believe Lauren Jackson was instrumental in. She was the one that was given the job of gathering the information. It was just is a, a beautiful thing. And then the other thing, they um, had, uh, well, with Pam's help in scrounging around in my dresser drawers, had found um, T-shirts from all the years. Okay. And um, so they made, a, made kind of a quilt with... Uh, you know, the backs of the T-shirts. And one of the things that, that I'd begun to do is that, oh, at least once in every kid's time of being at school, I would do a T-shirt that had on the back the, the full roster. You know, so everybody got her name on a T-shirt mm. at some point. And, and I know um, in, well, at least one case, her mom had played on a tennis team way back before... Cedarville acknowledged women's athletics or certainly women's tennis. Uh, Casey Ruffin's mom, Charlotte West, I believe her maiden name was, played tennis long okay. ago. And, of course, um, Janelle Kelly, she played, and then one of my players, who and she graduated this past year, uh, Rosie Thompson, played with her as her coach in high school. Okay. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. 
from a spiritual perspective, how have you, how have you grown from being at Cedarville for so long? Tremendously, because I, in, with the chapels and just the, the interactions, it's built into my own life a great deal more discipline in terms of spending time in God's Word. Sure. And well, one of the things that, that Pam and I, and, and Cliff Pam and I always did it before, but at breakfast time, uh, we always read, and we've developed various plans that we follow, and and then we'll do something else. But um, but we read scripture, and then uh, have a time of prayer. Probably some of my best memories in the time that I coached was that every Wednesday's Bible study night, and uh, so regardless of what else was going on on Wednesday, Wednesday at eight thirty. We, that was Dennis Bible study time. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, true Baptists, we can't do anything, can't come together for anything without food. Right, so, right. So I, 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 um, I'm not very domestic, but I, I can make pretty good cookies. And me and Betty Crocker are like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I would always be, have something baked for them. And so that was sort of became a tradition. Those are just great memories. Thanks for sharing. Can you articulate just the depth of love that is between you and Pam and Cliff? Because it, it, it's, it's special, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, Pam is a, a best friend of, I believe, 50 years. I first met her when I was teaching at Ohio State, and I had come to Ohio State from University of Iowa, and one of my doctoral students that I had taught there um, was a lady named Doris Dries, and she was the chair of the physical education department at University of Dayton. And so Pam had had, had her as a, as a teacher and a, a chair and had also worked in the office for Dr. Dries while she was there. So when Doris Dries knew that Pam would be coming to leaving UD, graduating, coming to Ohio State. She suggested, said, now look up Dr. Morris. And so Pam was very shy. Really? <laughs> when she was shy. She's outgrown Something's that. Changed, <laughs> She's outgrown that nicely. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so she came to my office door and, said, and knocked and said, uh, Dr. Dries said to say hi. Hi. And she vanished. <laughs> I was Pam in those days. But then uh, she found out that I was one of the few believers um, on the faculty at Ohio State at that time anyway. And uh, just gradually we got to know one another. And when she finished uh, all the classes that she would need to take from me, then uh, we allowed that friendship to grow. And it's been wonderful and, and a great privilege to see her grow up professionally. And she is an immensely capable individual. Sure. And just, I tell her, you know, you can get somebody to do something and make them think it's their idea. <laughs> she has that ability and, and just does it in such a gracious way. And that's an administrative gift. It is. And, uh, and she just does it so, so beautifully. I am immensely proud of her. So in, in a sense, kind of like, um, I don't know, 
mentor, mentee. Or oh, really sure. Just, just, she's a wonderful lady. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> she knows all my faults and loves me anyway. You know, mm. so. <laughs> you, I, I can tell sitting across these mics from you, just the depth of that love, just, <laughs> just seeing uh, a little bit of tear uh, well up in your eyes when you talk about uh, Pam Johnson and, and Cliff too, but really Pam. Mm -hmm. And uh, so thanks for sharing. Well, and, and just to say too about Cliff, he, over the years, he became a big brother. I have had a lot of tears because mm. we miss him. Sure. And uh, we, we've done an awful lot of grass cutting this summer. You know, to try, we, we just, both of us, Try to keep the place out there looking the way Cliff would want it to look. Mm. My last question. <laughs> As you look upon your your life, your life here at Cedarville, your life as a PA, uh, what do you hope your legacy is when everything is said and done? Just for um, people whose lives I may have had some influence in to do base everything that they do uh, on their love for the Lord and their desire to please him. And uh, that verse that um, says, whatever, whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of, um, well, that's the verse. I was one of the part of, parts of that honor last year was that they planted a tree for me. Nice. And I think I'm the only living person that has a tree. <laughs> on Cedarville's campus, and I periodically go out to check on it, make sure it's okay. But that was the verse that they put on the little plate down there. Well done. And, uh, you know, I just uh, hope that our students who go out into healthcare um, in whatever field it is, that they realize the privilege they have of being, in a, in a sense, in a small way, um, Christ's facilitator in helping people and uh yeah that's a that's a gift and that's that's probably the thing that i love about it the most thanks again for sharing it was an honor to have dr d morris for this week's podcast get to know her a little bit uh better um and personally from from me from from one yellow jacket and a golden tornado <laughs> to another yellow jacket and golden tornado thanks for joining me today thank you Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.